Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Power to Face Anything Life Throws at You. Anybody need that today? All right, the power to face anything that life throws at you. First Kings seventeen nineteen to twenty four. Uh, another wild story. I rarely share this one. You'll see why. It's a, it's a little bit rough, but but wait till the end. Wait till the end. Well, let me finish it. This story is is traumatic even for a farm boy to uh, remember. It, it's shocking in many ways, but you're going to see why I'm telling it. Hang on to the end. Hang on till the end. Uh, because it was the perfect one for what we're going to be studying. It's the perfect story. I was. Um, Driving home, uh, a, one of my teenagers from youth group one day, Denny, a lot of you guys know some of the Denny stacking corn stories, that's Denny, and I was driving him home from youth group, and it was getting dark, and it was raining just a little bit, and all of a sudden, there was a, there was a dog laying in the road, and I s- tried to swerve, you know, it happens a lot, we're from deer dogs, all kinds, but I swerved to go around it, and I, I couldn't, I, I put two tires over this dog laying in the road. I was like, oh, I was so upset. But I kept going. About another mile, I dropped Denny off. I turned around, and I'm like, let me just go check on the dog. At least you could go find the owners. Even though I wasn't the first one to hit it. You know, I was the second one, but, so I wasn't the one who killed it. But I still felt responsible. So I pull up, and there was a dog. And now it was way off the road. It was on the, off on the edge where it was still solid. There's still some cement, but he's way off. So I had hit him in the middle. So obviously, someone else had even hit him after me. You know, this dog's been hit several times now. And I... And I Looked at him, I pulled up so my headlights were shining on him, and I looked at him, and I'm like, oh, poor thing. So I, I go across the road, I went across the road, and I knock on the door, said, uh, and my friend from the cross-country team, Jonathan, he's a couple years younger, and he was a Val Victorian, brilliant kid, uh, he, he answers the door, and I said, Jonathan, I hit a dog, is this your dog? No, no, we don't have a dog. He goes, but let me come out, and he walked out with me, we crossed the road, and in the dark, and the headlights are shining on, and he's like... Oh, I know who that is. It's this house right here, right, right in front. So we walk up to the door. It's like almost 10 o'clock at night, and the house is pretty dark. But we knock, you know, on the door, and and a, and a mom comes to the door, and she has a little kids behind her, and they're like all peeping behind her, and she, we're like. Uh, Jonathan's like, your dog's been hit on the road, you know? And I go, and I, and I go, yeah, and he's been hit at least a couple of times. Now, I didn't tell him I hit it because I felt so bad, you know, badly that I didn't, didn't have the heart to tell him I also hit him. I go, yeah, your dog's been hit at least a couple of times. And so she's like, let me go get my husband. And, and he comes out, and he put, he was already in bed getting ready, you know, going to work next day, already in bed. And so, he puts on a bathrobe, and he comes out with this flashlight, and he follows us out to the road. I'll never forget it. The kid, the family stayed inside, and he comes out, and he shines the, the, the light on the dog, and I'm like, yep, that's my dog. I'm like, yeah, I'm so sorry. And, we, and he shines the flashlight around that dog's head, and his eyes were bouncing. They were still moving. The dog was still alive. Now, now we know it was probably a bad concussion that they were bouncing, but the eyes were like doing this. And we're like, the dog's still alive. And I'm like, oh, no. And so he's like, he's like shining light. He goes, hmm, hmm, what do you think we should do? And I'm like, well, I would either take him to the vet or put him down. But I wouldn't leave him like this because, you know, he's unconscious, but he could be suffering. We don't want that to happen. He's like, hmm, hmm. And he just kept crouched down there doing this. And this went on for about 10 minutes. Hmm, 
What do you think I should do? And he'd ask, and we'd tell him again. And we're, I'm like, I'm, I'm tortured, you know. I feel, I feel bad enough that I also hit the dog, you know. Uh, not the first time. And, uh, and uh, then, but then, but I'm feeling tortured, and my headlights are on. I would just like to leave, but my headlights are keeping us all safe, and the whole situation's safe. Cars are going by. And, and he's like, what would you do? I said, well, I know he's been hit at least a couple of times. Uh, and I still didn't, never told him I hit it. And I said, I, um, I, would, I would probably put it down. He's in pretty bad shape. But whatever you do, either take him to the vet or put him down, but don't leave him like this. But, but he, he goes, you would put it down. I go, that's what we would probably do knowing he's been hit at least a couple of times. And so, so, uh, so he goes, okay, I'm, I'm going to put it down. Uh, he goes, um, he goes but, uh, but I don't have a gun. And I go, who lives around here and doesn't have a gun? Where am I? Twilight Zone? You know, it was unheard of where I grew up, you know. And uh, most people slept with a gun under their pillow. I, uh, yeah, so, so I'm like, uh, well, I don't have a gun with me. I, I got to drive about five miles to get one, you know. I got about ten of them, you know. And he goes, he's like, you know, well, and Jonathan goes, I don't have a, we don't have a gun either. I'm like, what, what kind of neighborhood is this, right? So I'm like, I go, well, and he goes, well, I have a sledgehammer. And he starts walking into the house. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. And I go, did he just say he has a sledgehammer? Is he going to bring a sledgehammer out of the house? And John goes, that's what it sounds like. I'm like, I I just want to drive away before anything else happens. I want to be out of here. But I can't because my car lights are on this, right? And so, so I said, so he comes walking out. With his, with his flashlight in one hand and a sledgehammer in the other, and he hands me the sledgehammer. I said, I'm not going to hit your dog, and I handed it back to him. What is this lunatic? First, he doesn't have a gun, then he hands me the sledgehammer, right? So, you know, then, he, then he goes, well, I can't hit the dog. And Jonathan, Val Victorian, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. He takes the hammer. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you can imagine. Now, I've seen everything. Everything you can imagine on the farm. I can't even describe most things I've seen. I shouldn't even be telling this one. But anyway, but this traumatized even a farm boy. And so this dog, whose eyes are doing this, and he's breathing barely. He's barely alive. They put him, line him up on the cement, and Jonathan hits him. Right, hits him right in the forehead. I'm not going to go into detail. It, was, it wasn't pretty. There was blood. It was horrible. But after that, he shines the flashlight on, and the dog's stomach is still moving. I'm like, he goes, I go, it's still moving. You gotta finish the job, John. You know? And he's like, oh gosh. So he hits it again. Shines the flashlight. The stomach's still moving. And I'm like, I don't remember exactly how many times this was repeated, but it was at least five, at least five times. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Finally, Jonathan puts the hammer down. I've had enough. And, I, and I'm looking with a flashlight. I'm like, I swear I saw his stomach just twitch. Just one little twitch. I'm like, he's still alive. He goes, I'm not hitting it again. I'm like, fine. I don't want to watch. I got in the car. I drive away. I'm sick to my stomach. I get home. I tell the story to my family, you know, my brothers and sisters. They're all making fun of me. Oh, keep Chuck away from the dog. Keep Chuck I didn't do it, you know. So, you know, they're all teasing me. I was traumatized. I hardly slept that night. The next morning, I called Jonathan. I said, Jonathan, I feel so bad. Do they suspect I hit it too? I feel just felt, felt so responsible. And he's like, Chuck, sit down. I go, what? He goes, sit down. I'll never forget. He goes, Chuck, sit down. The guy took the dog and he put it in two garbage bags. He double bagged it in a garbage bag. He drug it around behind the house. And he's going to go bury it in the morning. When he, or the next day after work, he was going to bury it. He left it out behind the house. 
he got up the next morning to go to work, and the dog was sitting on the front steps. Sitting on the front steps. He had dug his way out of those garbage bags, crawled, walked, crawled, whatever. He got on the front steps. He was waiting from the front steps. I go, what did he do? He goes, he took him to the vet. Which is what we wanted him to do in the first place, right? He took him to the vet. The vet said he could see where he had been hit. His ribs were broken where he had been hit. And probably my tires, right? Yeah, he had been hit pretty hard. But then, but he seemed to be okay. He, but, but what was his more troubling injury is his head was pretty, he had a pretty bad head injury too. I'm like, how? Is, you know, and, and so years, years later, we would drive, I always drive by kind of watching. And you'd see the kids out in the front yard playing with this dog, running around playing with this dog. And, but he ran kind of a little bit at an angle and his head was tilted a little funny. But he was there. He was fine. He was having a good time. He was still there. And, it, that, I know that sounds impossible, but it's true. And I only told you a little bit of the story. Uh, it's true. The youth group gets the full version. But anyway, uh, but we're going to see an even more. You're like, how could that possibly? I, it's impossible. Impossible. But we're going to see an even more shocking story in the Bible today that's also true. Far more shocking than what I just told you. It's even more shocking, but also true. Now, remember what we've been looking at. This widow woman is starving with her son. Elijah comes, and and there's a miraculous miracle. They get food. It just keeps reproducing itself. It's a miracle. We talked about all that. Then the son dies. She's blessed, but then she's blasted. The son dies. Shocking, shocking. But we know, but, but we know God has a purpose, and we're going to see the reason for that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you now for your word and pray that wherever we are spiritually, that this passage would take us to a whole new level spiritually. Maybe it's our salvation, putting our faith in Jesus Christ because of this passage. Maybe it's sanctification, growing and, and moving forward in a, in a powerful way in our, in our spiritual life, in our impact in this community. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And also, this is also preparing us for communion, as you'll see. Uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 19, we'll start with, 19 to 24. So the son's dead. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Wow. You talk about a shock. You talk about a shock. The impossible. The dead resurrected. The dog wasn't dead. This, This kid was dead. The dead resurrected. This is the first time in the Bible that someone is resurrected from the dead. First time. Which means it's the first time in history. No other god was going to bring, no other of these false gods was going to bring somebody back alive. This is the first person in history 
that was came back from the dead. And, and so we take this for granted now. Oh, yeah, Elijah raised some from the dead. And Elisha, we'll see that next time we study Elisha. Elisha raised some from the dead. And, you know, we know Jesus' miracles. He raised people from the dead. And, and he came back from the dead. He resurrected himself. And the book of Acts, we see the disciples, apostles raising people from the dead. That's old news now to us, right? Oh, yawn, you know. We're just, that's old news to us, Right? We got it in Sunday school. It's no big deal. And it's shocking. It's shocking now. And it was shocking then. But for, for Elijah and the widow, this was unthinkable. This was unimaginable. It was impossible. But this miracle is the culmination of the widow's story. She was blessed. She was blasted. She was starving. Uh, blessed, blasted. And now the culmination, verse 24, where he says... Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. The truth. This was her saving faith. Now I know that you are a man of God. Scratch out a man of, and then I know that, I, now I know God. Now I know God. You take out the middle section. That's really what she's saying. I know that you are a man of God. What she's really saying is, now I know God. Take out the middle stuff. I know God. You told me about him, but now you have showed him to me. You've showed who he really is to me. She comes to saving faith from this. And that's why last week when Pastor Joe was preaching, remember Hebrews 11.35? That was our, our, uh, our, the hint that you were to be looking for. And, and when he says, uh, Hebrews 11.35, where he says, uh, where he says, Women receive back their dead raised to life again. This woman was in that. One of the first. She was the very first to have her, someone raised to life again. This, this is, she was saved. This is saving faith. This woman is in the hall of faith. This is, there's others, but she's the first. She says, now I know God. She's saying, now I know the one true God. Not Baal. She was a Baal worshiper. Not Baal. And now I know the one true God. I know who he really is and what he can really do. And do you, do we know him? Do you know the one true God? Do you know his salvation today? This woman had saving faith because of her statement. Do you know that you have saving faith? We'll come back to that in a minute. But Elijah also grew in his faith. His wasn't saving faith. He was already saved. He had already put his faith in the one true God. But he experienced sanctifying faith. Sanctifying faith, which we all have to move from saving faith to our sanctifying faith. His faith grew. It was confirmed. He was set apart for chapter 18. We're going to go there next week. We're going to start chapter 18, Mount Carmel. He was set apart for his next step in ministry. His faith was growing through this. And, and, and through, through this, we see the resurrection of the dead is what saved and sanctified them, is what saved the woman and sanctified Elijah. It was the resurrection of the dead. It was the first time in Scripture, but not the last time. When we move from the life of Elijah, we're going right to the life of Elisha. We're going to see it again. And, and Eli, Elisha is a type of the apostles and the believers. Elijah is a type of Jesus. Elisha is a type of the, the, the apostles. Elisha, my God, is salvation. They found salvation through Jesus Christ. And he's a picture, a type of them. But 
Elijah, as we already talked about, is a type of Jesus Christ. His prophetic ministry. He's a type of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ saw many resurrections. Elijah was the first, but the great resurrection came through Jesus Christ, right? There were many resurrections. Jesus broke up every funeral he ever attended. Anytime Jesus, you read about him in a funeral in the Bible, what happens? Someone's coming back alive, right? Over and over again. It, uh, and, and even his own, he even broke up his own funeral. He came back alive. That's what Jesus did, many resurrections. Now, I want to look at what Elijah did and connect the dots to Jesus Christ specifically, because he's a picture. First of all, look in the passage here in First Kings 17. The first thing he did is he took the child in his arms. Took the child in his arms. Which was a big no-no for an observant Jew. Why? Because it made him unclean. You couldn't touch a dead body. If you did, you were unclean. You had to do, jump through the hoops to get the, 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 the filth off. It made him unclean. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. Remember Jesus when he healed the leper right off the beginning of his ministry? What did he do? Jesus reached out and touched him. The Greek says he gripped him. He didn't just, you know, touch him. He gripped him. He grabbed a hold of him. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has reached out and touched us. He has taken us in our, his arms. He has taken our sin, our, our disease, our death. He has taken it all on himself so that we could have life. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, there are many verses, but this is a good one. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin. He took our disease. He took our death. He took it all on himself so that we could have life. And that's why, also why Elijah laid on him. Not only touched him, took him in his arms, but he also laid down on top of him three times, stretched him out. He was totally identifying with this dead body. He was totally identifying with this boy who was, was dead. He was identifying, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. He totally identified. He became a man, the God-man Jesus Christ. He completely identified with us with our, our temptations, with our struggles, complete identification. Hebrews 4, 14 to 15. Therefore, in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, here it comes. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus completely identified with anything, everything, everything you've experienced, every struggle, every temptation, every pain, every heartache, he can completely identify with. He laid out on top of us. He became one of us. And not only that, then he resurrected the boy. He resurrected him, which is what Jesus has done. Remember I talked about Jesus fulfilling the, the type of this when he, he resurrected the widow's sons several times? He, Luke 7, look at Luke, we'll just look at one of them. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11, 
Listen to this. Remember the story we just read. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town's gates, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countries. Wow. He resurrected the boy. Jesus fulfilled this. And once again, this is a picture of what Jesus has done for each one of us. Each one of us. At salvation, he gave us a new life spiritually. Before we put our faith in Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, this is what you are. It's what we all were. Before we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are dead. We are spiritually dead. We are spiritual zombies. Dead. Completely spiritually dead. But Jesus, at salvation, the moment we say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins on that cross. I believe you came back from the dead to prove you were the Son of God. I give my life to you. I put my faith in you for forgiveness and a new life, giving me a brand new life. The moment you take that step of faith, you are no longer dead. Jesus resurrected us. We go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And someday... He will resurrect each of us. Whoever puts their faith in Christ will not only have a spiritual resurrection, which we have at salvation, but someday we will have a physical resurrection. Someday, at the second coming, we're going to have that, that spiritual resurrection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, listen to this, verse 51. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God... He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us, whether we're here when Jesus comes and we're just taken up, whether it's here, there, or in the air, whether we're already in heaven, our spirit is there, and we're all going to get those, our same bodies at the same time, the new bodies, the new resurrection, here, there, or in the air, it's going to happen. And this picture of what happened with this boy, resurrection, is a guarantee. It's the first hint we have of that, and it's a guarantee. And in the meantime... We put our faith in Christ. We're here living on this earth. In the meantime, something else is happening. Elijah did what with that kid? He restored the child to his mother. And Jesus restores us. That's what he's doing with us. In the meantime, while we're waiting for our ultimate resurrection, God is restoring us here and now. In fact, there's a Colossians 3, 8 to 9. It's a great uh, passage on this. In Colossians 3... 
listen to this, it's, it's great. Um, says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now get this. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, here we go, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's a lot packed into that. In Genesis 1.27, it, so, uh, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are created in God's image. But what happened? The fall. Sin distorted us. Starting with Adam and Eve and all the way down to the last baby born, we are distorted by sin. We are, we are, we are, we are, it's horrible what has happened to us spiritually. It's horrible. But Jesus Christ comes along and he is the second Adam, right? The second Adam called in scripture. And he comes and, and restores us. He dies for us on the cross. He pays for us. And that's what communion is all about today. He paid for our sin. The, the bread represents the body of Christ. The cup represents the blood of Christ. That's what he gave to, to, to pay for our sin. That we could be forgiven. That we could have a brand new life. To give us a brand new life. By following Jesus Christ. By being reconnected to God. By now having communion with God, which had been broken at the very beginning of the human race. It had been broken. But he's reconnected us to God. That is what happened. And, and he's restoring us. He, we are being renewed. We're being restored. I know some of you do like restoration. Sometimes Some people like to restore antiques. You know, the, the, something that was really cool at one time and it's all scratched up and nicked up. You restore it. It looks brand new. Or, or a car. A lot of people like to restore cars. You take this rusted buckle or bolts at one time was this brand new beautiful car now it's a piece of junk but by restoring it it looks better than it ever did and that's exactly what god is trying to do what he is doing in our life he is restoring us he is renewing us verse 10 there uh, recreating us uh, he's, he's getting us back to holiness, back to healing, back to healing our relationships and, 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 and healing our relationships. That is the power and purpose of the resurrection. The power and purpose of the resurrection. Look what happened with Elijah and the resurrected son. What was the result with Elijah and the resurrected son? It convinced the widow to put her faith in God. She's even listed in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. It convinced her to put her faith in God. The same thing happened to us, each one of us that have put our faith in Christ because of the resurrection of the Son of God. This widow's only son was resurrected. God's only son was resurrected. And that led us to put our faith in the one true God. How do we know Jehovah's the one true God? Because he raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That's what convinced us. That's his proof that he is the one true God. And that is the one true son of God. Is the resurrection. The resurrection is, is, is what led, leads us to put our faith in the one true God. The resurrection is the cornerstone event in all of history. The historical fact of the resurrection. In fact, in Acts 2.32, in Acts 2.32 it says... God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. The apostles are preaching this. They're witnesses of the fact. It is a, 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 a historical fact. There, throughout 
American history, there have been judges and lawyers who have taken the Bible and said, could I prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the U.S. court of law? And they've all come to the same answer, yes. There's enough proof of the resurrection historically and in God's word that you could prove it in the United States court of law without a doubt Jesus rose from the dead. It's a fact. Have you ever acted on the fact? That's the question. It's a historical fact. God has made it impossible to miss. It's 2019 for a reason. (laughs) History is built on Jesus Christ for a reason. The only question is, what will we do with this fact? Have you ever acted on this fact? In Acts 2, Acts 2, we see people did act on it. Right after uh, verse 36, right after they said what they got, witnesses of the fact. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Like the widow whose eyes were opened. The widow's eyes were opened. Like the widow whose eyes were opened, do you know the one true God. John 17, 3 says this. He, he says, now this is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is life that we must know the one true God and his son Jesus Christ. Do you know God? Do you know you have eternal life? Do you know you have eternal life? A lot of people say, oh, I hope when I die I go to heaven. You don't have to hope. You can know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 12 to 13 says this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You can know before you walk out the door today, you can know for certain you have eternal life. You can know for certain you have the Son of, Son of God. By putting your faith in him, by giving your life to him. You, we can know. Do you know that? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? What is God using in your life to bring you to Jesus? This woman was brought to her knees because of the death of her son. What is God using in your life to bring you to your knees and to the cross of Jesus Christ? What is he using? Now, that's to those who aren't sure if you're Christians. As Christians, how is God speaking to us? Do we know the power We may know about the resurrection, we put our faith in Jesus, but do do we know the power of the resurrection in our life? Do we want to know this power? Do you want it? Be careful. Be careful what you wish for. There's only one way to know and live the resurrection power. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. In Philippians 3, 10 and 11, it says, I want to know Christ and the power, the power of his resurrection. Now stop there. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Everybody wants that, right? We all raise our hand. Who wouldn't want that, right? We want that. We all want to know the power of the resurrection. But there's only one way to get there. And most of us stop right there in this verse. We rarely go to part two. We rarely go to part two 
of this verse. Look what it says after that. How we get this power. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. By sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. That's the only way. Resurrection power only comes through suffering. It's the only way. There's no pill we can take to get there. There's no surgery. There's no shortcut. It comes through suffering. It may come through physical suffering. It might come through persecution. It might come through mental suffering. There's all kinds of different ways that we can face suffering. They were primarily facing persecution suffering. But there's lots of different sufferings. Although that one's going to be coming to the United States very quickly, right? But it's through suffering and ultimately death. Death. Look what he says. Through death. Death of self and ultimately death of flesh. What trial is God using to make his resurrection power a reality to us and to everybody else who's watching us? What trial is he using to make that resurrection power a reality? When people see resurrection power in our life, they can't argue with it. They can argue with what you say, and they do. <laughs> you can talk about God all you want. They can, they can argue with what we say, but they cannot argue with our life. They cannot argue with what they see. They can argue with what we say, but they cannot argue with what they see in our life. That's why God uses the resurrection power of suffering and, and even death. Maybe you're here and you've lost someone. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe you've lost hope. Just like this widow, you've lost hope. But the resurrection of this widow's son gives us all hope that God has the power to make it right in the end. He has it make it right in the end. If we've lost a loved one, we have the hope of the resurrection in heaven someday. That's what we hang on to. Maybe we've lost somebody. Maybe we've lost, maybe we've lost somebody spiritually, a prodigal that has left the faith, that has broken relationships, that has bought the world's lie in some, lies in some way, that is in some kind of bondage. But this is hope for us that, that, that there's a spiritual resurrection still possible for them. Still. And no matter what happens to us, whether it's trials, whether it's suffering, whether it's sickness, whether it's even death, Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his, his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We have the, the, the power. We know that we have the Jesus Christ resurrection power. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. We have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to face anything, anything, even death. That's why I titled it, you know, the, the power to face anything that life throws at us. We have the power to face even death. And that resurrection power guarantees us our own resurrection someday. We are guaranteed, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that resurrection someday. We may be able to connect some dots here on earth. We see things happen. We get to connect the dots. Now I see what God was doing. I get it. That's what he's doing. But we may not understand a lot. Until our resurrection. Some things we can connect. But there's other things that we'll, we cannot connect here on earth. But until 
our resurrection, we have the proof, the power, and the purpose of the resurrection. We have that. We have it today because of Elijah and this boy. We have it because of Jesus Christ's funerals that he broke up. We have it because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have that. We, we know that God will fulfill his purpose for each of our lives if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to him. Whether we see it clearly here on earth, whether we see it in heaven someday, whether we have healing here or ultimate healing at our ultimate resurrection, whatever, we still know that God has the resurrection power to accomplish his purpose in every one of our lives. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know the resurrection power I'm talking about? Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? John 3.16 says, For God for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the only way to have the resurrection power I'm talking about. First, we must put our faith in Jesus Christ's resurrection, giving our life to him. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Turning from sin, turning from the old way of life, the old self, and and saying, God, I want the brand new life. I put my faith in Jesus. Have you done that? As Christians, are we living in that resurrection power? It's great. It's great that we know we're going to be resurrected. But we're not supposed to just look forward to that resurrection. We're just living that resurrection power right now. Philippians, uh, Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Do, are we living in his resurrection power? Are we impacting others with the resurrection of power of Jesus Christ? Not just by what we say, but what we, they see. Are they seeing that resurrection power in our life? And the only way to do this is by staying close to Jesus Christ. We have to stay in communion. Communion. That's what communion is all about. Reminder that we need Jesus we need to commune. We need to be connected. It's that constant reminder that, that that's what we need. It's remembering the cross and the resurrection. Reconnecting with Jesus Christ's power. And we all need to stay plugged in. It's vital. You know, a lot of you have these, these phone things, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we live with these things, right? But what happens? They're constantly being drained. Constantly being drained. Constantly being drained. Whether you use them or not, they somehow keep on draining, you know? So frustrating. But what do we have to do? Have to keep plugging them in. Every time you walk by the phone charger, you've got to plug it in. got to keep plugging in. And if you don't, it dies. And that same thing happens to us spiritually. We have to stay plugged in. We have to stay connected in communion. And this is just a reminder. This is just priming the pump. Taking it this morning, it's just a reminder that we need to stay in communion every day. Every hour. Every minute, every second. <laughs> or we'll die spiritually, right? That's what this is all about. What we do is, in a, I'm going to pray and then we'll open it up. Whenever you're ready, you can come forward and take the bread and the cup back to your seat and just take it, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. It represents the body that he gave and the blood that he gave on the cross. Um, if you're not a Christian yet, then wait. Wait till the time that you're ready to become a Christian. And hopefully you will do that today. You can do that today and still take communion. But if you're not, just wait. It's okay. Nobody looking around. It's between you and God. Just pray through this time. And, and we'll, when you're ready, you can do it. But, or if there's something in our life that God is convicting us of. And we say, God, I won't give it up. I won't turn it over. I won't. You know, if there's something that we won't surrender to God, 
don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. But I hope that you do. Today we do say, God, this is hard for me, but I'm giving it up. It's going to be a battle, but I'm going to repent of this. I'm going to turn away from this. I hope that we make that decision so that we can reconnect with God and stay in communion with him. And as always, we always have a prayer team up front. If you ever need someone to pray with, they're always up there at any time, okay? Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe here today and you realize that you don't know the one true God or his son Jesus Christ because you've never put your faith in him. But now that you know about him, you are ready to take that step. You can do that right now, right where you are. A prayer from your heart to God's heart. A simple prayer of faith. God, now I know. Now I know you are the real God. And your son Jesus is the only son you have. The only way to you. I believe he died for me on that cross. I believe he rose again from the dead to prove he was your one true son. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. I walk away from anything in my life that goes against what you want in your word, what you tell us in your word. I walk away from it. I'm giving my life to you, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, something shocking has happened inside of you. You've just become alive spiritually. You now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you now have the power to face anything that life throws at you. You have God's power. You can now commune with him this morning, but every day, all the time. You can talk to God any time as your father. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've taken that step of faith because... A family member or friend or tell me on the way out, tell somebody because we'll be excited for you and we'll also encourage you in your new life in Christ. For the rest of us who have already put our faith in Christ, as we go to this communion time, it's a time to plug back in. How is God calling us to plug in, to reconnect? How does he want to use our trials and struggles to grow us, to sanctify us, to touch other people, opening the doors to share about Jesus with so many others because of what we are going through. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead this communion time. In Jesus' name.